Some said it would never happen, but the Philadelphia 76ers defeated the Toronto Raptors for the first time in years, the first victory they've ever had against Kawhi Leonard, and we are riding high. This is Crossing Broadcast. I'm Russ Joy. Follow me on Twitter at Joy on Broad, and I'm joined by a man whose life ended recently, hence we had no podcast last week, but apparently he's back. He's been resurrected, unlike Beric Dondarian. That would be Kevin Kincaid, who you can find on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid. Kevin, how was, uh, how's the life with a baby? Yeah, it's good, man. Uh, fatherhood's great. And even though my life has ended, I will always make time for the loyal listeners of the Crossing Broadcast. The only Philadelphia sports 7 for 7 podcast. It's true. It's a, it's a, a podcast for hardworking, blue-collar Philadelphians. I'm so excited. It's nice to be back in the saddle. Here's what we've got uh, on our rundown for today's episode. Um, two weeks but, worth of topics that we didn't seriously. get around to because I, I was I was up at two in the morning bottle feeding my child. I legit sat here for a, a little bit thinking like, do we have to go back and rehash the uh, Brooklyn series at all? Because I don't think we did a show since they uh, they wrapped that one up, and I don't think we no, will today. But, well, no, but here's here's all I'll say about the Brooklyn series. There were three things that I avoided uh, with the Sixers win. Um, number one, I said that if the if the Nets won that series that I would work a 12-hour shift at the Aramingo Avenue Wawa and I would donate all of my earnings to charity uh, so that didn't happen I did not have to work at Wawa I didn't have to make anybody a a meatball sub or a shorty or a uh, sourdough John um, I also said that I would cannonball off Race Street Pier into the Delaware River and I didn't have to do that um I almost, I almost would have rather done Wawa than the Cannonball because the river's so damn dirty, you know. Um, and I also avoided having to go to an Imagine Dragons concert, so I had a lot riding on uh, the success of the Sixers in that series, and uh, you know, I, I made it out unscathed. So I'm really proud of you. I told y'all, motherfuckers, but none <laughs> of you believe me. <laughs> Some idiot commenter was like. Kincaid, why don't you make a bet with me if, you know, the Sixers lose to the Nets, you have to do, like, you have to quit the site forever. And I was like, okay, well, what do I get? And he's like, I, I said, like, okay, well, you have to stop posting here because you're, you're an asshole. And I don't know if he agreed to it or not, but he stopped commenting after the four game, four, <laughs> <laughs> four wins in a row. <laughs> oh, man. You know. Well. You know what? I'm yeah. glad you can still get petty with commenters while uh, bringing new life into the world. I'm glad that your, yeah, your priorities I, you haven't know, changed. Something, well, something about fatherhood makes me realize, you know, maybe it's probably a waste of time to, you know, talk to those mofos on there, you know. Hmm. And more important, there's more important things to to worry about, as they said. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> let's get into uh, to, to game two. I don't know how much you want to go back sure. and reflect on game one, but this uh, this yeah. Eastern Conference, Conference semifinal, I think, is the kind of series that we've been waiting for for over a decade. And, um, you know, when we did our predictions on the site, I said that that realistically Toronto could have wrapped this thing up in five games if things clicked well for them. Um, it's still possible. I mean, anything is on the table. I think I ended up picking them in, in six. Um, but this series looks like, in theory, it could go to seven games. I don't want to get too high on the, the game to win. But there were a lot of positives to take away from it. I think you can you can probably find somewhere of uh, a middle ground between the performance that you saw from this team in Game One, um, where Kawhi Leonard and Pascal Siakam accounted for I think it was sixty six percent of Toronto's points, and mm-hmm. then you you look at you know what happened in Game Two, some um, some changes that Brett Brown made to rotations and to defensive assignments, which I think we should get into. Yeah. Um, 
you look at it and and on a, a day where Joel Embiid, you know, played like the crap that I'm sure was filling his toilet uh, only a, an hour before, um, you know, ultimately he ends up making some of the biggest plays in the game. So we'll get to that. But um, I, I'm encouraged by some of the adjustments that Brett Brown made. And, and in a way, it ends up becoming the Jimmy Butler or the James Butler. And I think the Brett Brown James game. James Butler. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hold on. I have the sound drop. Do you want the uh, the audio drop? I'll of, give me the uh, drop. Of, yeah. Do you have a drop, a soundboard? I'm going to tell you what, what we saw today, that was not Jimmy Butler. All right, that was James Butler. He was the real adult <laughs> in the room. You sound like uh, like an extra on The Sopranos or something. I was going to go Christopher Walken. That was all right, though. I'm a Walken. Yeah, I like your Bernie Sanders better. But... um. James Listen, Butler. Yeah. James James Butler was an adult in the room and he gave ninety nine percent of his points to the rest of America. That was pretty uh, good. Was my Bernie that's, all right? Okay, I haven't done good. a Bernie. I, yeah. I enjoyed that. I'm he decided ahead. he was gonna spread out all of the devastation on the offensive side of the ball to multiple defenders. If he, he wanted to make sure everybody got some of the Jimmy G buckets, the G stands for gets. I think if if actually on a serious note, um, the most socialist member of the Sixers is probably Jimmy Butler, if you think about it, because he is very deferential and he wants to spread the ball out, you know. Mm. He wants everybody else to have a shot, too. Mm. You know, he's more like the 99% and less like the 1%. But anyway, um, yeah, Brett did, like, I wrote down five things in the takeaways column that I did at, like, 4.30 in the morning after feeding my daughter. Um, Embiid opened the game guarding Siakam. And Tobias Harris took Marcus all, so they swapped. And basically, what that did was that they just, you know, even though you got, even though that's not an ideal matchup, Tobias Harris and Marcus all, you'd rather have a 34 year old big um, with the ball in his hands and make him shoot and let Siakam deal with Embiid. You know, I thought that that worked really well. Uh, Siakam, you want to talk about a guy who's differential? It, it really is Marcus all. He's not a guy who wants to look for a shot anymore. He's no longer like the 20 point per game score that he was in uh, in Memphis. He really is a guy who looks uncomfortable lining up, you know, any kind of three. And the Sixers have left him open in this series from deep, and, you, and he has not made them pay. I don't like. I don't want to sidetrack myself, but real quick, like, do you, do you feel like the Marcus Saul trade made them better in the end? I know they still kept winning a bunch of games. They ended up with the number two seed, but like their bench, the Sixers bench is killing the Toronto bench. And in that trade, they lost C.J. Miles, DeLon Wright. Jonas Valanciunas, who was always a pain in the ass against the Sixers, like I don't know, I've, I like, I feel like that hurt their depth um, when they gave up those guys. You know, th- obviously they don't have um, OG, you know, because he has the he had the appendix thing or whatever that was. Yeah, um, they could really use him off the bench, but nothing um, like having a young player almost die, right? Zaire, uh, rip. Well, uh, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Um, to answer your question, I I do think. Yeah, did it deplete some of their depth? Sure. As I've said many times, when you get to the postseason, the depth isn't really as big of an issue. Yeah. I think that the the Gasol trade, to some extent, was made specifically for a matchup with the Sixers. And I say that because, mm. historically, Mark Gasol has been a pest, a nuisance, a guy who can shut down Joel Embiid or at least make him uncomfortable to a point where you don't see dominant performances night after night. Yeah. This isn't the same as having Serge Ibaka in. And, and if I remember correctly, I might have to pull their head-to-head stats, I think that Embiid had a lot of success against Valanciunas. He does not tend to have a lot of success against Marcus Saul. No. That's part of why this was an interesting swap. Sure, size-wise, 
you would think that Gasol would be able to take Tobias down into the post. But again, since he's not looking to get his own shot, it ended up freeing up Embiid. And and by playing against Siakam, sure, is he chasing Siakam around to the arc from time to time? Yeah. Hmm. But he's not banging down low with Gasol, which means, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. pending him not having gastroenteritis again, yeah. uh, which it feels like is the 40th time this season that know, somebody on this team has had gastroenteritis. Hmm. Um it, it allows Embiid to stay fresher on the offensive side of the uh, of the ball. And knowing that if, if you're able to switch him off of Gasol defensively, um, you know, it, it could open up the possibility for Embiid to have a couple of big games here at home. So yeah. I, I think it was a smart yeah. move for Toronto for this reason. But I see what you're saying. Like, yes, it, it did take some of their depth away. So number two, they, they threw some of those early double teams against Kawhi uh, in the first half. And, you know, it that's effective because he's not – Kawhi has never been like an elite playmaker. I mean, one on one, he's one of the top three players in the league. You know, some of the Michael Jordan shit that he was pulling in the first two games. But he's only he's a guy who's thrown like two point four career assists per game. So you're you're willing to live with that, you know. Um, they got Ben on Kawhi a lot more last night, and that's just basically because they were making more shots and they were able to set their defense. You know, uh, Toronto really pushed the pace. Uh, in the first game, well, actually, they were smart about when to push and when not to push, and they were getting cross matches against the Sixers where they were getting different guys on Kawhi, and so that really helped uh, free him up a little bit. Um, you know, then rotationally, Greg Monroe off the bench, Boban and Korkmaz were taken out of the rotation. Boban had to play like the emergency minutes there in the third quarter, um, and then Brett Brett's substitution patterns were different, um, especially early. Where in the first in game one, Toronto left their starters in. Nick Nurse left the starters in for like eleven minutes, and Brett Brown made his typical subs that he usually does. And so their starters are playing against the Sixers' second unit, um, bunch of second unit guys for a good chunk of time. So Brett only went with Monroe and James Ennis, and he left three of the other starters in for a while. He brought Redick and Embiid back around like two thirty in the first quarter. Um, so he adjusted to what Nick Nurse was doing. So those are five things. Um, there and that really helped. I mean, the Sixers still shot like shit. It, it, offensively, they couldn't really do much of anything in the half court, and Ben Ben was still bad in the half court. Joel really really struggled in the half court. Um, God, you know, if it wasn't for Monroe and Ennis and some of those big buckets by um by Jimmy Butler, I don't I don't know if they'd be. I don't know if, if we would be at one one right now, but I, I think Brett made a lot of smart decisions with what they did in game two. Of course, the naysayers, the negative people are always going to be like, well, why, why didn't he think of that in game one? You know, why do they have to lose a game and then adjust? Why can't they be on the front foot and make the other team adjust? But they're the three seed, the Raptors are the two seed, the Raptors are the better team. Like that shouldn't really surprise anybody, you know? Yeah, you're right. Um, I, I just want to make sure I was, I was trying to pull a couple stats here, but um, you know, when you, when you talk about what this series should be fundamentally going forward. I think, you know, when we look ahead to what game three is going to be, one of the biggest questions is going to be, is Brett Brown going to roll out those same rotations? And and you hope that you're going to have Greg Monroe back. You're hoping, obviously, that Mike Scott might be healthy enough mm -hmm. uh, to play, if not in game three, then certainly game four. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of think about, does this team end up over-adjusting? Do they roll out the same thing? And does Nick Nurse have the ability to go back and game plan a way to switch things back to the way that they were in game one. Does Toronto now start switching more to try to get those advantageous matchups that they had in the mm -hmm. first game? Do they fundamentally change their system in order to try to maximize those matchups? And I'm, I'm not sure if they're going to. Now, the question, I think, also then has to be asked. You know, Jonah Bolden is a guy who I think people had clamored for going down the stretch. And, you know, it was almost like he and Zaire Smith 
represented what people thought were, you know, the the future-ish of the team going forward, more with Zaire than with Jonah. But there were so many times that you would watch Boban, especially late in the season, just getting absolutely obliterated by uh, younger, faster um, bigs and watching guards just go past um, mm-hmm. Boban in a way that, you know, for a guy who's got, what is it, a 7'10", 7'11", wingspan, yeah. you would think that he would yeah. be able to adjust or, or deflect more balls at the rim uh, than he tends to. Yeah, yeah, you would think that, yeah. And and with Bolden, what you saw yesterday is if he plays within himself and within the system, he provides length and quickness that I don't think we've seen from a Sixers big since probably Rashawn Holmes. I don't think he's quite as quick as and tw- um, quick twitch muscle as, uh, as New Orleans Noel used to be. But if Bolden plays an intelligent game, meaning one where you don't have to scream at your TV six times a game in like the four or five minutes that he ends up playing, you know, what the F are you doing? Then, you know, I think you're going to get good productive minutes out of him. Like to me, Boban Boban doesn't fit with this series. If Jonas Valanciunas were still here, then I'd say, all right, I think you can make it work. Mm -hmm. But like, who does he exactly line up against? You know, if if you think about it, Boban's best matchup would probably be to get in a one-on-one battle with Marc Gasol on the block. Like that's where he would provide the most value. But Gasol's ability, in theory, to go out and stretch the floor and hit a few threes, in theory, if he were to take them, that kind of negates that. And if, yeah, like, just yeah, to get yeah. back to Gasol for a second, like, three-point attempts, right? Gasol didn't start shooting threes until 2016-17, where he put up 3.6 mm-hmm. per game. He went up to 4.4 per game in 17-18 before he uh, uh, fractured, what was it, his hand. Yeah. And and then in, uh, in this season, he's actually... Um, He's averaged out to three and a half threes per game. His minutes are down with Toronto, but he's only putting up two a game. So if if Gasol is just going to take himself out of that, um, you know, stretching the floor equation altogether, then maybe if you're going to try to get Boban, you you get Embiid a, a little bit of rest, and maybe you try to have Boban chase Gasol around. I don't know if it's going to work, but otherwise, I don't see Boban really playing much of a role going forward, barring there being no. a ton of injuries in the front court. Yeah, no, it just feels like one of those. I don't like when people say like, "Well, this guy's unplayable," you know, or whatever. They make these like huge sweeping statements. But I mean, it, this is probably as close to being true, or that's as with Boban. It's it's as close to being true as he can be, you know. Um, you know, because Toronto can just go five out and space it, and you know, drag him and move him, and it's just against Brooklyn. <clears throat> You know, Brooklyn had such a lack of size that Boban offensively was a juggernaut. You know, it was easy to justify him in there. His defensive liabilities didn't matter at all because he was able to do a lot of things offensively, you know. Like when Brooklyn would show that zone over the first couple of games, they'd just put him right on the nail, lob it into him, and they'd bust that 2-3 up in, in like no time, you know. But yeah. um, but the way that Toronto plays, you know, they're so lengthy and like rangy and disruptive on the perimeter. I mean, there was one play the other night or in the first game where – Boban just got the ball like at the elbow and then Danny Green just poked the ball out of his hands, you know. Danny Green's got like less than a he's like, you know, a foot smaller than him. So listen, if you're gonna go with you know, that second unit, the adjustment that Brett made in game two against Brooklyn, where he was going point guard Jimmy Butler, James Ennis, Mike Scott, Tobias Harris as like a secondary ball handler, and Boban, where they were just running pick and roll. They were running four five and three five pick and roll, you know, that whole time or one five, I guess. You know, with with Boban and Butler and Harris were like the primary guys, and Boban was scoring as well. But you can put Bolden or Monroe in there, and you don't really need much from them. You know, Ennis is in there for defense more than anything. Monroe can be in there for defense more than anything. That second unit, you don't need Jonah Bolden to be scoring for you, really, because the ball should be in Jimmy's hands and Tobias's hands more than anybody. You know, and if Mike Scott comes back, he can be a three point threat. You know, so 
Um, you know, to me that it's more about, you know, just, just do what you can do defensively with that second unit. And, uh, guess what? It's the Eastern conference semifinals, dude. I mean, like your rotation really should be like seven, eight, you know, seven point yep. seven point five people at this time, you know? And that's why it was bothering me when people were saying like, well, Furkan and Zaire and shake fucking Milton and whatever, you know, because it doesn't, all of those guys beyond beyond player number seven all have some kind of huge liability, you know? I understand why people like Zaire and why they want to see Zaire, but Zaire's played six NBA games. You know, he's played one minute in the Brooklyn series. So I can't sit here and definitively tell you whether Zaire Smith is better than Furkan Korkmaz, is better than Jonathan Sims. Like, I have no idea. You know, with that, it's like voting in the presidential election. It's like the least worst. You know, it's like the lesser of two evils. You know, you don't really like any of the candidates, but you got to pick somebody. So if it gets to the point where we're talking about the eighth person, if, if the eighth or ninth person really matters, then you've probably already lost, you know? Yeah, I, th- I think the reason that people are so hell-bent on the idea of Zaire over Jonathan Simmons, I mean, I can speak for myself on this, Jonathan Simmons won't be with this team next year, Zaire will. Well, Furkan, and, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Um, and so the difference there is I think Furkan has proven to be a more reliable shooter, for better or worse, from deep than Jonathan Simmons has been. I've been very disappointed in in the player that Simmons has ended up becoming, um, Jonathan, not Ben, although uh, that's another yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, a big part of that is I just can't believe that this guy for as many years as he's played in the league can't play himself into a rotation against, uh, you know, a bunch of guys who either won't be here next year or were acquired via the waiver wire. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just don't fundamentally understand how that can happen. Could you imagine, like, I know this is being a dead horse, but, like, if, if they had gotten Terrence Ross or Patrick Beverly in one of those trades? <clears throat> or both. Well, yeah. and then think about, I mean, so, of course, you then you wouldn't be getting Scott. Boban and Tobias Harris so and Mike Scott's made some big contributions and I mean but Imagine I don't know they really gotten could... Wesley Matthews like people thought they could have gotten yeah or gotten uh, Wayne Ellington like yeah. I there were so many guys that that this team missed out on in the waiver wire and I still don't know why like why Wesley Matthews decided to go to Indiana I will never understand playing time I guess he knew he had a shot at being in the starting Maybe. lineup you know I think that was probably the thing you know but like you're right if, if you get Pat Beverly back and it seemed like they were very hesitant to trade Beverly. You can make the argument that Elton Brand, you know, being inexperienced in his role, might have overpaid for Tobias Harris. And I think the kind of player that we that we initially saw with Tobias versus the last two months mm. versus like the kind of Jekyll and Hyde show that we've seen with Tobias in in the last you know in the Brooklyn series and now in this uh, Toronto series, you know, you can make the argument that they should have gotten a Beverly back if the idea with the Orlando trade was to pass on Terrence Ross just to get that pick. I mean, that's that's a terrible miscalculation by Elton Brand and the the front office collective. So, yeah, it would be nice to have another guy that can come in, handle the ball and also get his own shot. Mm -hmm. And they just don't have it right now or even have a a pesky defensive guy. And I think that's why I would like to see Zaire be active in place of Jonathan Simmons. Um, While I get that he's only played seven games at the professional level, you can't teach his size or his length or his quickness. And if if nothing else, he should be a guy that you could plug in. In in short spots, you know, end of quarters, two, three minutes, maybe he gets five in a game where he's not asked to do anything on the offensive side of the ball you're unless he has a wide Z- open three and Zaire, he can hit it. Zaire Smith? Yeah, who did yeah. I say? No, yeah, I thought yeah, I heard Zaire. you say Simmons. I wasn't sure. I oh, know, my bad. Okay. Yeah, so like Zaire to me should be a guy that like if there's a wide open three, all right, kid, like go ahead and shoot it, yeah, right? Yeah. But otherwise he should be a pesky defensive force. He's got a good wingspan. He's got good lateral quickness. He's a guy who could be a pest. And if nothing else, like if if one of your wings get into foul trouble, well, there you go. You have six fouls that you can use with Zaire Smith. 
Plus, I, th- I think that, like, if you were to advance, I think Boston is going to beat Milwaukee. I think if the Sixers had played Milwaukee, they would have beaten Milwaukee. I think if Toronto had played Milwaukee, they would have beaten Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee is mm. actually the worst of the four teams remaining, mm. despite their awesome record. Um, if I look at this, I think, like, Zaire as a guy who matches up against Boston, if you're able to get to that next round, I would rather see Zaire get some minutes now to get himself prepped. And even if things go well, sideways, it's... you lose the series, like... You can now say that he's gotten some playoff minutes. It doesn't have to be in crunch situations. Again, it could be at the end of quarters. It could be if the game becomes a runaway either way. Well, just get the kid in and get yeah, him to I mean, play. That's a long way away, thinking of Zaire Smith against Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals. But I, I here's how I would wrap up the Sixers thing. I'll, I'll ask you a question. Do you, like, when t- Kawhi is not on the floor, um, does Toronto scare you at all? Yeah, they do. They scare There's you? One- Yes, there's one guy on this team who has not had the big game yet, and I expect it to happen. If it doesn't happen in Game 3, it'll certainly happen before the series is over. Do you know who the guy is? It's not Gasol. It's not Marc Gasol. It's not Danny Green. Are you talking about Kyle Lowry? It is, it is Danny Green. Danny Green? And this is Yeah, Danny Green is the guy who, if, if Nick Nurse makes the appropriate adjustments, he should be a guy... Um, he, you know, this season alone, he's shooting almost 47% from, uh, from the field. He's shooting 46% from three on five Mm -hmm. and a half attempts a game. If there's one guy who has the potential to break down the Sixers, um, take advantage if somebody gets hurt on the wing, or if, you know, one of your starters get into foul trouble, if Jimmy Butler gets into foul trouble and now all of a sudden you're leaning too much on, um, on James Ennis to go in and make a contribution in that spot. Danny Green is a guy who could get hot very quickly, and he was probably the most underrated part of the DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard trade. I mean, he has been absolutely massive. Yeah, he's a good solid. For Toronto he's a good season. solid he, veteran. He, yeah, I, I don't. Um, yeah, I, mean, do I, I don't. Do I think it's not? That. I'm not saying he's going to go for like 50. I'm saying like he could he could hit some daggers well, on you. He could. What were his averages a, this year? Like like 10 points and like you know a couple assists and a couple rebounds. Like I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I, I like I honestly I look at that first game where Siakam and Kawhi were just on fire and like the at that at that point, one point in the game the rest the entire rest of the team was like two for eight. Yeah. You know, I just feel I feel like they're a little top heavy. But yeah, Dan, Danny Green did have some good games this year. I don't I don't I don't see Danny him Green as a guy a I don't player. see him as a guy going for like twenty five points though, you know? I, he could in the right game. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like if if he manages to take advantage of JJ Redick, who by the way has played really good defense, he has so actually. far in this series. Yeah, he's yeah. been he's been and a they've very done a good job. He's been a very good pass. Yeah, you notice how Brett is not um they're not switching screens with JJ. They're hedging they're hedging him and he's he's playing hedge and recover. And um it's actually you know, it actually works because I, I only counted like maybe one or two times in the first game, at least I'd have to go through and watch last night's film again when I actually have some sleep. Um but they they only punished him on the hedge like like one time in the first game that I counted, uh, where they dumped it to Green in the in the post when before JJ could get back. But but yeah, they they've been able to avoid having him mismatched against guys he doesn't want to be on. I think he had I think he had got I put the graphic in the story this morning. He had like tr- like thirty some possessions against uh, Danny Green, and he had like twenty some against um, against Powell when he came in. So they really weren't getting him, getting him stuck on on Kawhi or Siakam or anything like that. Um, so smart to make that adjust. That was that was one thing that Brett did in Game One. So 
He did a good job. That was yeah. Um, that wasn't like it was an adjustment because they got their ass kicked on it, and um, you know, it makes you wonder then, you know, where was that all year? <laughs> but yeah, no, you know, you're not wrong. Yeah. Um, I, I think maybe one of the other really good points to bring up here is the kind of arc that Jimmy Butler has had as a player here so far. You know, when he first got acquired, the question was, is he going to fit within the system, or is he going to try to make this his team? And you know, then there were there were points where he was maybe overly deferential. And people started saying, well, where's the stone cold killer that we were supposed to be getting? Like, where's the guy who's going to take over a game and get you buckets like he said he, he would? And like, like you know, history has, has shown he can. And it, it was funny because like him actually playing the role that he's played to this point, which is that of a playmaker on the team who can, you know, from time to time go out and, and start taking over a game for you if no one else is making shots. Like that to me is the perfect fit for what his skill set is and fitting within the system and fitting within the team and not making it about himself. But I was happy to see him in game two go out and absolutely take over the game because it's what this team needed. Mm. Joel Embiid was off. Ben Simmons was non-existent. Tobias Harris, I, I couldn't tell you the last time Tobias Harris, uh, you know, made a uh, an intelligent offensive play. Like, I, I feel like the so many times Tobias... have been disappointing from him. I, I, he's been, more than he's anything, been, yeah. Yeah. he's been like boneheaded he's passing up open threes he's passing up like he has these moments where he'll get the ball on the wing and where in the past he's just been like a stutter step uh, a little step back mm-hmm. and then firing with that quick release he's just like overly reliant on this like pump fake getting into the paint and then throwing it out to the wing to like Ennis or someone and I'm like I'm sitting here like is he hurt is he totally not confident in in his shot anymore but meanwhile Jimmy Butler goes out takes over the game and delivers you the game two performance that you needed. It was uh, hearkening back to what was a game one of the Brooklyn series mm-hmm. where he took over and they couldn't take advantage. It was nice to see him yeah. step up when, you know, the three other stars on this team really hadn't done a ton on the offensive side. Yeah, I hear you, man. Um, look, I mean, it's playoff basketball, sloppy shit, you know. I mean, but they they shot like 24 for 26 from the foul line, which was amazing. The starters didn't miss a foul shot. Um, Ennis was the only guy who missed missed a couple foul shots. They out rebounded the shit out of the Raptors by like plus twenty or something like that. And I, I know that's kind of a, you know, it's it's a product of circumstance. Obviously, if the other team is making buckets, there's nothing to rebound. But still, you know, they didn't allow a ton of stuff on the offensive glass. Um, they were still underwhelming in in transition. I thought fast break points weren't that great. Um, the turnovers, some of the turnovers were just ridiculous. Like people just dropping the ball. Uh, out of bounds reddick had like three of them or something so did yeah, you giggle I, yeah, with uh when it was like 25 ish seconds left in the game and kyle lowry decided to try to mag a player <laughs> well i just was sitting here thinking like <laughs> like what the hell would the reaction be if like ben simmons tried to do that here oh he'd get killed home against, he'd get murdered on on he'd uh, get crucified radio, by angela know? cataldi yeah lowry something about lowry just just bothers me and like i i is it because he went to Villanova, which is in a Philly school, six one zero? No, but if it was up, if it was up to Kyle, I think wasn't Kyle beating the drum for oh for Kyle Lowry to um to the Sixers or something? If it was up to if it, Kyle showed up in Slack for the first time in a while, and he was like, <laughs> "I told you," he's like, "I told you guys they should have uh, they should have signed Kyle Lowry, you know, before they traded up for Markel <laughs> well, no, Fultz." I was like, a, "Dude, if, if it, you were on this podcast on an emergency show in the afternoon, like losing your mind that they were going to trade up for Markel Fultz, yeah. like what?" You know, it, well, like, it, let's, it, let's get over. It. And also, by the way, Lowry ended up getting a lot less than people expected him to. All the money dried up. But but and, now and Lowry he got a much more manageable contract. See, the thing is, like, now Lowry is looking for like James Harden kind of calls. 
you know, he's just looking in, leaning in, going for contact. Sometimes he gets yep. a whistle, sometimes he doesn't. And it's just, it's just like... It's annoying. I think that's my least favorite part of the NBA right now. And I wish that there was a way to... Um, like the Golden State and the Houston game was just like maddening to watch because while it was high-level basketball within the framework of the game, it's just like people looking for rip-throughs and looking, looking to push their way into contact and stuff like that. And that's not... That's not basketball, man. You know, like Joel and I'll give him a lot of credit. Like, as soon as the guy, as soon as the defender brings his arm level, you know, rip through right into it and gets a foul call. But what what, are, what what exactly are we rewarding there? That a guy like swings his arms into somebody else because he's not he's not doing it with the intention to make a basketball play. He's doing it with the intention to get a foul call. So, is that what we really want people to do? Is that where we want the game going? I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say like. What Kyle Lowry does, what Joel Embiid does, what James Harden do, does. I'm not going to say they're not good at what they do, but like, there's got to be a way to rewrite the the rules so that if your hand is not totally vertical, that people are initiating contact with no intent to shoot the ball anyway. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's the problem. The, the problem with that with Harden at the end of game one a big against fart. Uh, Golden State, it was a big it, fart you know, for me. <laughs> the the contesting player goes up from uh, within the arc. And Harden flails the leg out at the last second. The leg, it looked too. like I know. yeah, I it know, looked dude. like watching yeah. a, you know a Serie A game and just watching you know oh I know there's Cristiano so- Ronaldo get oh chased God, down from soccer, behind and there's yeah. there's and there's like somebody two yards away who like happens to you know kick a little piece of grass yeah. and he acts like he yeah. got shot by a sniper at the top of uh, of the the Torino. Yeah, Lowry stadium, had but, a couple bad ones. So he got Harris on one that I didn't think was a foul. Where Harris just had his hand like down by his hip. But his hand was sticking out, and Lowry just like pushed, pushed himself into his hand, and I'm just like, I don't know. I I I, I wish that there was, uh, I wish that there was a point of emphasis for refereeing to to say sometimes you don't have to blow the whistle one way or the other. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Doesn't mean it has to turn into like 2006 era Big East tournament basketball where nobody calls anything. But I don't know. It takes it takes something away from the game for me. I think it it, it bothers me for whatever reason, you know. Well, here's, yeah, I I I had something. I'm going to save that for okay. for another day. Should we get um, it back to the Eagles, or is it time to get it back to the Eagles? Can I just say that? Or do you have a me, final? Do you have a one, final? One last Sixers, on Sixers point. Okay. I want to see how this plays out over the next two games. I have a take ready, um, about Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. If you have a take, it. you I've have to it. you have to give the take. You don't like hold. I've got it locked and loaded. No, no, no. You don't hold on to him because you're just trying. You're just out. trying to hedge right now, and you're trying to think. I'm not hedging. Oh, what's what? At what point is my take going to be the most like? Give me the biggest uh, advantage. It's like if it's like if I came out when the Sixers were up three to one and did the wah wah thing, you know. But I All said right, it so at the propose... beginning of the series. You can't hold on to some shit. Let me throw this hypothetical out to you. I'm going to get killed for it. Because I, you know, wasn't ready to present it to you today. But let me give you these two possibilities. So we saw what was a game three of the Brooklyn series. We saw an absolutely dominant Ben Simmons who was getting wherever he wanted on the court, mm-hmm. who was a menace in the full court, which is what you would expect from him. But even in the half court, he was able to manage his way into the paint whenever and wherever he wanted. There was nobody blocking his lane Mm-mm. to the basket. And we saw one of the most dominant performances we've seen. We actually saw the same kind of Ben Simmons that we saw at the end of last season. And what was it? The 12 games uh, as part of the 16 game win streak uh, after Joel Embiid went mm-hmm. out. 
if I gave you two scenarios, I want you to tell me which one you think is better for the Sixers long term. Is this a trade Ben Simmons take? Hold on. Joel Embiid, if we are to believe, might have an arthritic knee, right? Like as was speculated in the Brooklyn series. If we hedge against the the idea of Embiid potentially having an arthritic knee and being three-ish years away from potentially being a Greg Oden, do you, if this doesn't work, and if you make the determination if you're Elton Brand that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid do not fit well together? What are you, what are you putting on the back? Something just came up on my computer. Okay. Yeah. Do you take three years of Joel Embiid at the current level? Maybe a little bit better, but missing some games. Do you take that Joel Embiid and whatever you can get in a trade package for Ben Simmons? Or do you take Ben Simmons for the next, let's say, six years? Figure he ends up signing his uh, his qualifying offer. He ends up signing his uh, rookie extension. And you get, like let's say, six years out of Ben Simmons. You were to trade Joel Embiid, who I think would get you more on the open market than Ben Simmons would. It would probably get you back at least one quasi-elite guard and a few other role players that you could fill out, and you decide to reconfigure your offense to put Ben Simmons in a Giannis role, which is better for the Sixers long term? Oh, God. You're asking me basically if I think what what is more likely to happen, that Embiid would stay healthy enough to be elite or that Ben would develop a jump shot. And I don't think like either one of those things is possible. So let me just put this, let me put it like this. Giannis has not developed a jump shot, right? He he is not a real threat from deep. Now, he will put up mid-range jumpers, but ultimately he's a guy who wants to get to the rim. Mike Budenholzer came in and reconfigured their offense to surround him with shooters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you put Ben Simmons in the same kind of role, I mean, he's an athletically gifted guy. He's not quite as long as Giannis. He might not have the ability to defend all five positions like Giannis theoretically can. But I'm just saying, hypothetically, you get six years of that, and whatever you get as part of a trade return, you might you manage to put at least one other legit scoring guard and a bunch of solid role players around who are all shooters. Would the Sixers be a better team than if you traded Ben Simmons and got, I don't know, could you get a Drew Holiday-level guy back and a pick? Like, I don't actually know what Ben Simmons gets you on the open market. It's just a thought. I want people to think about yeah, it before you think I mean, it's like it's, the dumbest, craziest no, thing. I hear you, I'm not it's so a, sure that you can, that you can bet it's on... It's not a take. You're just offering... Like a, like I a think the Sixers would, not, the the take is that I I think the Sixers would be better off if you were going to trade one or the other. I think the Sixers would be better off trading Joel Embiid. Yeah, because I think it's more likely that he ends up having a shortened career because of injury than it would having you know Ben Simmons what turned yeah. down the qualifying offer and like bolt for L A. Let me um let me see. It's a modern you know with Ben it would be a modern NBA offense. It's really nice if you think about like. How many teams in the NBA right now play through a traditional center yeah. as the focal point of their offense? Yeah. You can't, you're like, we could sit here it's for 20 minutes. It's very hard minutes, to build an offense with Embiid and Simmons in it. It's like when people say, well, Brett Brown has shitty offensive schemes. Like, what the fuck do you want him to do? Like, you want to play pick and roll with Simmons where he's the screener. Well, Embiid's not going to be the role, the the ball handler. If you have Simmons as the ball handler, he can't shoot. So they run a, a run-and-gun version of a motion offense that's half San Antonio Spurs, half Mike D'Antoni, and run dribble handoff and find ways to make it work anyway. So I don't, 
like whatever coach would come in and take this over, say Brett gets fired. Like this is not like Jay Wright ain't walking through that door and like coming up with the perfect offense to make this work because on a, on a certain, on, on some level, these two guys are just not compatible. You know, if I can see, if yep. I got to see Ben drive to the foul line and kick it out to Joel Embiid one more time, it's like, it, it just gives me like agita thinking about it. Actually, you know what? Let me, let me see um, what Charles Barkley has to say about that shows have been very vocal in their criticism of you for doing this. You really think I give a flying fuck what the people on the radio calls say? Thank you. Yes, that's what he, yeah. That's Charles's take on it. I um, What do you think about a soundboard for the podcast? Should we do a I think we board? might need one for the podcast. Yeah, I think we might have to. It was to. funny. I was um, going through like old stuff, like folders on my computer, on my desktop the other day, and I came across all these old samples of like... Uh, from like half baked and from like office space and uh from these other movies like black sheep was on there um, and i was like you know we i wonder if we should do like our own version like the bruno and Mays soundboard or or what if is it's, going on back there yeah, yeah yeah or if we should just rely on our like bernie sanders impersonations and stuff like that for i don't know um by the way to answer my own question before the only teams that i can think of that have uh, quasi-traditional center that you could try to run through would probably be Nikola Jokic in Denver. Mm. Maybe you can make the case that, for better or worse, Minnesota tries to run through Carl Anthony Towns. Those are the only How about two. about DeAndre Jordan with the Knicks? Yeah, stop. <laughs> Just stop. All right, anyway, let's get it back to the Eagles. Um, oh, by the way, you, you mentioned Jay Wright, mm. about Jay Wright not coming through those doors. He's also not coming through the doors for UCLA. No, he's not. They offered, they offered to double his salary, which would which would bring him to... Like seven point six million, which is what I'm currently making right now. So, you know, it's a lot of money to go live in L.A. And uh, I, you know, as much as the main line is a lovely place, uh, investor Jeff works on the main line, lives on the main line. I don't know if I could turn down that kind of money to go out to Los Angeles, even though it's a bunch of fake. There's there there are no hard working blue collar type of people in uh in los angeles you know it's a bunch of like therese owens kind of people and i don't know you tell me would you would you take 3.6 million um to stay at villanova where you've built yourself a program or would you go to ucla for 7.6 million and rebuild rebuild that program i don't think he's turning down the money because he wants to stay at Villanova long-term. I think he's got his eyes on the next prize. And while Kyle might want that to be the Sixers, I still think there's a decent chance that Jay Wright ends up getting wooed by the Knicks or by the mm-hmm. Lakers. I know that he hasn't been rumored for the Lakers, um, but if, if you go back, I've brought this up a bunch of times, when you go back to the comments that Jay Wright has had about Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. uh, going back to the Big East tournament, like I think that's a place that at some point he'll be able to like decide that that's a place that he wants to go coach you, and like why would you not want to go coach yeah. Zion Williamson and if mm. imagine if Kevin Durant and or Kyrie Irving go there as well like you you have to think about going to the Knicks at that point if you're Jerry I know Antonio. I know you know it's funny because like conceptually is like would you would you, everybody's like what are you playing in the background uh, Tupac to live and die in LA um hang on oh, okay Wait. It's the place to be for Jay Wright if he wants to go there. But, uh, you know, it's like, why Why do you want to be the next John Wooden uh, when you can be the first Jay Wright? You know what I mean? 
You got your program. Yeah. Like, you've won two titles at Villanova. You got big recruits coming in there. Although, what's his face transferred? Quinterly. Um, Who cares? You know, I was thinking if Kyle was building the Sixers right now, the head coach would be Jay Wright. Um, the f- point guard would be Kyle Lowry. Uh, Randy Foy would be the two guard. Stop. I think you'd have Alan Ray in there. Curtis Sumter is going to come back. <laughs> Sumter. <laughs> Who else went to? Who's like a? Who's like a? Give me a non-recent Villanova player. Um, uh, did Kerry Kittles go to Villanova? No, he didn't go to Villanova, did he? Did he? Uh, go- no, Google I thought he. That. Wait, that was that was a hold on. That was a whole thing. I remember this being like a a Kyle. <laughs> Kyle versus uh, Phil and Slack. No, if it was Kyle, back Kerry Kyle and Phil would install Jay Wright immediately. Yeah, they he, would he send. They would send Brett Brett Brown to like Portland State and uh, or wait, that's in Oregon, not in Maine. Uh, they'd send him to like um, I don't know. They'd send him to Maine, Augusta right. State, you know, technical college. There you or something. Go. They'd send him to Pacific Lutheran University. I think that's somewhere in Washington. <laughs> I took grad classes there. Southern New online. Southern New Hampshire University. <laughs> Anyway, yes, Kerry Kittles did okay, good. Okay, so it would be Kerry so. Kittles. It would be, you know, Amari Spellman. Alan Ray. Randy Foy would be in there. Carl Krauser <laughs> would be trying to poke him in the eye still. Deontay Christmas would Deontay show up and Christmas. be like, yeah, guys, I definitely went you here. You'd have... Definitely did not go to Both Temple. Archidiakonos off the pine, and uh, it would be the best Sixers team of all time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, anyway. on a serious note, like, I don't... I, uh, if I, I always had this problem with when Rich Rodriguez left West Virginia for Michigan, I'm like, why the fuck do you want to be the next like Michigan man in a place that you don't have any connection to when you have built like a powerful program here? You just won, um, you know, Sugar Bowl, and then they went on to win the Fiesta Bowl and the Orange Bowl. It's like you could you could have had something really really good here. Why do you have to go to to that? You know, you got a great thing going here. You have all the control. You make good money. What's seven point six million dollars when you're already making three point three? You know, so. Yep. All right. Anyway, um, let's get it. Back let's to get the it Eagles. back to the Eagles. Um, you got your guy, man. Offensive tackle. Thank when we God. sat here on the podcast, like however many weeks ago, I said I wanted defensive line something. This was before they re-signed Jernigan. Um, I think it was before <laughs> Curry too. Was this before or after the Curry signing? I think it, it was, was after, after Curry. Curry. Okay. Um. I don't know, man. I wrote the column today. I wasn't really totally happy with the column. It was kind of meandering. I just couldn't really put my finger on it. But something something just bothered me about the fact that they – I don't feel any better about the defense than I did going in, you know? What you're seeing here is the Philadelphia Eagles and Howie Roseman deciding that they were going to allow Donovan McNabb to make personnel decisions. <laughs> Because they know Donovan, that if Carson Donovan, Wentz doesn't win in the next two years, oh, that they're going to have to move on. Because number five will always love you. <laughs> and also said that Carson Wentz has two years. To I can win feel all the energy in the building. <laughs> Dude, but I saw the Donovan thing like come over. I'm not passive aggressive. The... I'm not passive aggressive. I just say how it is. Don- I know this doesn't sound anything like Donovan McNabb, but I don't even care. <laughs> Donovan, I got this ch- this chunky soup. Campbell's chunky. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Terrell Owens is trash. <laughs> I don't even know what that was, but it was pretty good. <laughs> um, I, yeah, when I saw the Donovan thing, I was like, in the, we were in the hospital like the day after the day that my kid was born, and I was I saw that I'm like, thank Jesus, I don't have to write about that, you know, Donovan, you know, yep. like he just like he just does not get it, you know what I mean? Nope. Um, just never click. Anyway. But but the problem too is that guess what kind of start he got off to with the Philly fan base. 
Angelo Cataldi and 30 morons that went up there to boo the selection of him. So you wonder maybe why the guy feels a certain way, you know? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think the Eagles ended up making the right pick um, in the first round by going with the tackle. They had to jump over Houston to get Dillard. Yeah. And um, look, I, I'm not going to sit here and act like I watched college football last year. And then I have, you know, a great track record of uh, of following Andre Dillard's career at Washington. You didn't State. watch an offensive tackle but, in from from Pullman, you know, I, Washington. I can't say that I uh, I spotlighted him for many hours. Um, but Dillard, the amount of of straight up passes, uh, pass protection plays that he was yeah. in, it's a Mike, um, it's as a well Mike play action, offense. I mean, that's all they do. He, you know, he I believe had nearly twice as many pass snaps, pass specific snaps, not including play mm-hmm. action. Uh, than any other tackle in all of well, college football. Well, he'll, f- he'll fit right in in Philadelphia then, you know. He will. And, and you so got like, two running backs now, but you're only going to run the ball 20 times a game. So It just makes me happy to see that Howie Roseman finally came around to where I've been for three years, which is Jason Peters is a lovely man. He's a future Hall of Famer, but you cannot rely on him. And obviously this also means that Jordan Mailata, who – people had ridiculous expectations for although he was converting from being a rugby player it now gives my lot of the ability that if the eagles think he's worth keeping as a long-term project you can keep him on the 53-man roster and maybe this gives him another year to learn the system learn the game and maybe he starts contributing next season if he somehow goes you know leaps and bounds ahead of where he was last year then you know maybe he ends up being a guy who is an active player goes in whenever needed but like this takes a lot of pressure off of him I don't know where they where they stand with Mylotta if they believe that he can do that or if he's going to just be the next Jeremy Bloom. But like Andre Dillard is is the heir apparent, and you have to hope that Hall of Famer Jason Peters is now going to take Dillard under his wing mm-hmm. and teach him the right way to play, and and kind of start to groom him for you know being the left tackle of the future, protecting. Carson I mean, they Bynes. needed it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I think when you and I were sitting here on the podcast, we we were both in agreement that that's a position they needed. I just felt, I think I was more annoyed that they had not addressed it beforehand. You know, I felt like yes. they could have, fi- they could have found his heir apparent last year or the year before, and then this pick would have been used on something else. You know what I mean? Um, I agree. I just, it was nice that this happened. It was a few hours before is when um, Brandon Brooks put out the video of him, uh, his rehab from the ruptured Achilles. And so, like, I th- I think he's supposed to be on track, if not to s- to play in the preseason. I think he's supposed to be on track for early season. Maybe he misses week one or two. But, like, you know, we know that Achilles injuries are rough to come back from. Uh, Jason Peters, notably, has done it twice. Yeah. I think it was he ruptured it on the field once and then re-ruptured it when he fell off the scooter, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Um, I just don't want so, uh, like we'll look. I'm glad that they. I I can't sit here and say, well, they don't value the running back position, and then complain when they draft a running back in the second round, you know, because that just makes me a hypocrite. But I'm just sitting here waiting for the first game in which Jordan Howard runs the ball 11 times for 37 yards, Miles Sanders runs the ball four times for 12 yards, and Carson Wentz throws 48 passes, you know. And Donnell Pumphrey gets hurt brushing his That's teeth. That's right. Um, and Glory Clement sits in the corner wondering where all where it all went. Yeah, wrong. you know. So I and the thing with the um, with the Arcega Whiteside pick was that I just like something leaves a bad taste in my mouth about how they couldn't integrate Golden Tate last year because, as Mike Grow once said, "quote There is only one football." Um. So what makes you think that they're going to find a working a way to work 
Deshaun, Alshon, Nelson Aguilar, Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard at the same time. You know, is yep. Mac Hollins anything? I know Gunter Brewer is no longer there. I don't know how much of a difference that made with the new wide receivers coach being there. I don't know how much grow has grown um in the in the <laughs> Has grown in the last year or in the off season or whatever. Sorry, I'm just gonna sit here. But and like, there's nothing. But there's grown. But you you already had like people say like, oh, the, uh, the Stanford guy, you know, Whiteside is like a not Hassan Whiteside, but Arcega Whiteside is not Hassan Whiteside. Six one zero is a um, is a red zone target. You got Zach Ertz in the red zone. You got Alshon in the red zone. You got Goddard in the red zone. You have Carson Wentz sneaking the ball in the red zone. You have Jordan Howard um, pounding the ball in in the red zone. Just get me to the red zone. You know. Do you have enough to get me to the red zone? I don't know. I just like I th- I think the way I would I would characterize a draft is that I think they got good players. I think they drafted good players. I just I don't I don't know if it like they obviously went for the best players on their board and they did not go with the position of need thing, you know. Like obviously they do not value linebacker one bit. You know, I know they always play they play nickel like 70% of the game or something like that. So they they don't need they they don't need three good linebackers. They really only need two good linebackers. Um, and then Camus, Grugier, Hill is more than serviceable as a third guy, you know. But, um, I mean, Jordan Hicks was good when he was healthy. So, I don't I don't know. And there's a lot of question marks in the secondary, too. The defensive line is a little older. You know, Fletcher Cox is 28 coming off surgery. Malik Jackson's 29. Brandon Graham is 31. Vinny Curry is 30. Derek Barnett's only 22, but he's coming off the injury. Chris Long doesn't hey, know if uh, he Hey, really quick, you just said he's 22. Who? He's, he's 22, right? Derek Barnett, 23. Yeah, what's 2 plus 2? 4. 4. Yes, I do. <laughs> 4. That's good. We um Should we just steal Tony's? Should we ask Tony for permission <laughs> to use his? Because like, he's not using it anymore, right? Um, maybe we could take it. Maybe like, to honor... The Bruno and May's soundboard, we can just take one like clip from it. Like, what up? What up? <laughs> <laughs> I love Jose, that. I don't know. Jose that makes me time. that makes me so uncomfortable that we were like really we've on top got, of it. Uh oh. We've Uh-oh. got hockey action. <laughs> Did you just We got breaking news? <laughs> Did you just Google the Bruno soundboard? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Do the one um is the one about uh uh, when you come in our house, you're going to get your behind kicked. Is that on there? Thanks, <laughs> this is Paul. terrible. You come into our house, you should get your behind kicked. <laughs> there, <laughs> there you go. Um, listen, uh, um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. Something about the D, like something just does not sit well with me f- defensively for some reason. I Listen, I think, I think when you look at – the Eagles offense before the draft and the Eagles defense before the draft, I felt a lot more comfortable with the offense before the draft than the defense before the draft. And they went out and they drafted three offensive players with three of their first four picks. And don't even get me started on, on Thorson, Clayton Thorson. Because Tell just me about like, Clayton Thorson. I, like, I, like I get it. You, you need to get back to like Jeffrey Lurie said that he wanted them, I think to get back to draft and a quarterback every other year. And you, you do need to, develop somebody behind Carson Wentz because Sudfeld is not any sure bet and who's behind him Luis Perez you know so I get it I was not a fan of his really at Northwestern I watched like a little bit of Northwestern um and he's just yeah he's just a big six foot four like 220 pound dude which is what the Eagles love you know so 
I don't know if they can turn him into Nick Foles or or a poor man's Carson Wentz or something like that. I don't I don't know. Um, but I don't know. He's just kind of yeah. like um, it was like that episode of Family Guy. Do you remember where they they offer Peter? I think it was a boat or a box. <laughs> and he's like, ah, but Lowish, Lowish, it could, but it could be anything. It could be a boat. He just turns down the one or the other, you know. So I don't know. Like maybe maybe Clayton Thorson is like know, yeah. is going to be a, a legit guy. Yeah. Do you remember the? You know, um, I, th- I think people people are just kind of sitting here like he might just be like a mystery box. You know, everybody just wants to know. Oh, what's in the box? <laughs> you right, set that one up pretty good. Do you remember the South Park? Did you watch South Park back in the day? Do you remember mm-hmm. the episode where they have a new mascot for the school and they're trying to decide between the giant douche and the turd sandwich? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep, which yep. one would you pick if you had to pick? Mm, uh, I guess the first one because it at least serves a purpose. <laughs> A turd sandwich doesn't serve a purpose, but a giant really doesn't. does. All right, this is sure before the for for a giant. This thing goes perhaps for Tormund's giant. Do you want to do? Is that what you want to do? You want to do Game of Thrones now, or do you want to make oh, a Kate? Know. Let me can I make a Kate Smith point? I would because love this to. is can, this is old. Let's let's make sure this that is, we let's make sure that we pull the uh, the audio from your comment on Kate Smith so that Sam Carcitti can go write another story. He put two stories mm. out within four hours today, I believe. He's got a streak of seven straight days writing about Kate Smith. I'm going to pull his uh, his writing record. Go ahead. I don't like want to get into the whole fucking backstory or whatever. Everybody's probably read enough about this, and I don't, we don't need to like dive into Kate Smith's entire life here or whatever the hell. But I I think the thing that bothered me about it as a as a political moderate and somebody who does not identify as one fake ass side versus the other fake ass corny partisan side is the Yankees made their decision. The that night, whatever night that was, right? And the Flyers had the thing wrapped up in black, whatever fabric, like the next day. I it once for once, I would just like one of these entities, whether it's a sports team, whether it's a corporation, whatever controversial thing is going on. I would just like them to say to take their time and do their due diligence. Which is to say, like, put out a statement. You can still get ahead of it by putting out a statement that says, we are aware um, of the what the Yankees have decided to do with Kate Smith. We understand that this is a sensitive situation, and we are looking, and we are taking, we rest assured, we are taking this seriously. That said, we would like to have some time to do our own research and our due diligence on the topic and come to the right decision. And um, for now, y'all can fuck off, you know? Yeah, like I, I don't, I don't. I, it's the, is, to me, it's the the rush. It's like the pressure from like the the social justice wing of of the side that I feel is counterproductive. Now, the people on the other side, like the far right side, who just bury their head in the sand and say, "Well, it's not even worth discussing." That's not that's not right either. Like, there's a middle ground. Let's research what really happened here. Let's look into her life. Let's do our due diligence here, and let's do some critical thinking which is very hard for Philadelphians and Philadelphia sports fans in general, but let's do some critical thinking. Let's come to some solutions here and let's see what the best path moving forward is, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is something that Anthony and I talked about over on Snow the Goalie a week or so ago. Um, yeah. It's just kind of like the rush, the the rush to get out. And part of the problem for the Flyers was not only did they release one statement, they ended up releasing two and the second came on Easter Sunday when the statue was removed. So it's yeah, like that's never good. Yeah. You, you drew yeah. you drew a lot of attention to it. Then the statue was covered, and then you removed the statue. And it's like, you know, I'm not gonna say that the um, 
the entire Flyers fan base is conservative, but I can say that based on a lot of the uh, the groups that well, I'll I say, I'll say um, I check yeah, on yeah, Facebook, yeah. like it's a very it's it's a more conservative leaning group. So I don't necessarily think that there was a massive outcry from the Flyers fan Look, base Russ, to get rid me, of to, to let get me rid be of, honest you know? with you. Okay, you're a white kid from Schuylkill County, right? I'm a white I'm a white kid from Upper Monco, all right. So we are qualified to say that the Flyers fan base is mostly white. It's probably a little more conservative than other fan bases. There's nothing wrong with that. But as such, the response was not unexpected. You know what I mean? I just yeah. don't like the Flyers feeling, seemingly feeling pressured to to follow in the Yankees' footsteps because there's this cascade of shit and idiots frothing on Twitter saying nothing. You know, those people don't want to think about it at all. They don't want to do the research either. They're just saying, blah, blah, blah. What's the next thing I can be angry about? What's the next thing for me to be offended about, you know? They're not doing any critical thinking themselves either. And the people on the right, you can't listen to them either. So bring it back to the middle, take your time, say we understand the severity of the situation, we'd like to look into it, and we will present to you our findings. That's what we do in every other fucking walk of life, you know? It's what we do in the courtroom. It's what we do with um, deciding what school we're going to send our kids to. We're deciding, like, what brand of bread I'm going to buy at the freaking IGA. You know what I mean? Like everything we do in life is actually takes some measure of measuredness to it. So why does that go totally out the window? Like on the other hand, this rush to judgment costs them some season ticket holders and some longtime fans. So you're not, you're, you're always pissing off somebody no matter what you do. So just take the middle ground have, and just say, like, look, we just just give us a minute to like look over this. We don't want to rush to judgment. We're gonna to try to make a smart decision on this, you know. Get some facts and come back. And exactly. See. That's how I feel. Yeah. yeah. Jim Calhoun. The great <laughs> we really Jim do Cal. need our own soundboard. I know. Maybe I can make I a soundboard. Listen, why don't we you know, open this up to the listeners of the That's crossing uh, broadcast? Why don't you, if you have suggestions for me and Russ, I'll chop them up in my home studio. I will put them on my phone. I will send them to Russ, and we'll have a soundboard, uh, a 7 for 7 soundboard. Yes, I agree. A 7 for 7 soundboard. Uh, We need everybody to throw in whatever they want on the soundboard, and we will do our best to make it happen because we work hard for the hardest working Philadelphia blue-collar fans. That's right. My life, broadcast. yeah. Listen, my life is, as people say, my life is over now that I have a kid. But I've I've found time for the podcast, and that's I think that shows how important this is to me. Indeed, you can hear it in my voice. Indeed. Um, before we get to, I guess, our last segment prior to uh, to questions, unless uh, you want to do questions first. Um, what do you want to do? Mm, to Game you. of Thrones or quite, let's do let's do questions first. All right, questions. questions. We'll finish with Thrones before sure, we get to them. Okay. Really quick. Uh, I think people know this now. I didn't put a post on the site. I might do a post. Mm. Uh, all of the Crossing Rod podcasts are now available on Spotify. All right. So that's a very exciting thing. So if you have Spotify, if you're playing your PS4 tonight, you're thinking, man, I would love to have Kevin's voice. The sultry, the dulcet tones of Kevin Kincaid coming through my TV, not only for Crossing Broadcast, but also for It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia, which features new artwork. Um Man, now you can you can just stream it right through your PS4 because everybody knows that it's always soccer in Philadelphia. What the hell is I doing with it's that a artwork? Real blue collar. It is a yeah. It's it a real blue collar. A, a true blue collar soccer podcast. I did a cartoon snake wearing a hard hat, and he's got a lunch uh, in a brown paper bag. He's got a briefcase. 
there's an apple and uh, milk. And I don't know what the hell it's I'm doing. It's like, milk. It's like it's nightmare milk, right? fuel. Yeah, I don't know. I must have been like high when I was it's doing this or something. for when he, uh, he does his workout. <laughs> it's the most... Uh, this, if, if this snake was real, he would tell Manny Machado to do the right thing and say... <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's like get Tom to... Cudero. Okay, let me uh, get in. Follow me, camera guy. All right, go ahead. <laughs> uh, Bill Kornfeld, uh, Dom Giordano's producer over at Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, he says, will either of you be the one to bring down James Holzauer? Is that how you say his last name? The Jeopardy Holtzauer. guy? Holzauer. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I the Jeopardy guy who's just been like swatting people aside left and right. Um, Russ, are you a fan of a dominant Jeopardy um, contestant, or is this like the UConn women's basketball team? I am really... I'm really behind James on this one. Now I missed tonight's episode. I'm hoping he didn't lose. That would suck. Um, but I watched Monday night's game when he, uh, he really got taken to uh, down the wire by, Did I he? believe the guy's name was Adam. Adam was beating him on the buzzer and ended up finding the, uh, the second daily double in, um, in double jeopardy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan because um, you know, I, I hope he won Tuesday night. Um, there, there's nothing quite like seeing a guy who's willing to go out and you know, put all of his money up on daily doubles, and mm. then on final Jeopardy, he's so far ahead that he can wager forty five, fifty thousand. I mean, the the idea of him being able to take down Ken Jennings' all time record for uh, for money earned, and doing it in, I don't know, I think it would take him less than less than thirty days to do it total. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that would just be insane. But it's funny, man. What like, I... Im- imagine like working so hard your entire life to try to get onto the show, and then you run into that buzz saw. And then, like your family, yeah, that's a shame. That's your family a shame. says, like, why didn't you? Why didn't you do better? Like, ha, like, how didn't you know that? Like, you were gonna like run into this guy. You know, are you are you sure that like was he really as good as everybody makes him out yeah. to be? And then you just sit there and and you just say to to your family, but they are who we thought they were. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what I would do is that I I would get on the show and then I would I would try to bribe them. I would say like, look going to get rid of this guy let's stack the categories in my favor and we do like like the first five categories would be like death metal soccer sea isle city um james bond movies and like bravo tv since all my wife watches is bravo i would sweep james holtzauer uh, right off the board i would just i would sweep the whole board on that i think if we rigged it in that way i could take him out uh, but otherwise, he's just like answering shit about like British literature that I have no clue like anything about. You know, what is Shakespeare, Alex? You know, so all right. Anyway, a uh, wise. Cracks. Do you know? Do you know where James oh, is sorry. from? James Holtzauer. Yeah. Um, the main line. No. Yeah. Vegas, 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 Vegas. <laughs> is this just? Is this? Just, is this all you're going to be doing for the rest? <laughs> of the- <laughs> this is how I'm going to communicate the rest of the show. Wait until we get Russ, the thrones. I need everybody, every American. To get their own soundboard and take the soundboard from the one percent and give it to the ninety nine percent. Wise Cracks really says who blew a bigger lead, Shooter McGavin or the Night King? Ah <sighs> man, um, the Warriors they blew a three one lead, Shooter McGavin and the Night King. We I will I will address Wise Cracks's question in the Game of Thrones uh, segment when we get there. Co- yeah. What is this guy's name? Cog Coglin. Coglin to Boglin, 
Coglin. Oh, yeah, the Toboglin. Yes. Who, is, who the fuck is this guy? Um, Coglin Toboglin, whoever the fuck that is. Wants you mean to the know. guy who was uh, apparently, never mind. Maybe I shouldn't, I maybe I'm not supposed to say he says that, he a, might, that somebody tried to poach the Coggin oh, from Crossing oh, Broad. That will not be, yeah, we won't go there. Um, Coggin, by the way, who got um, Coggin to actually unblock him on Twitter. The Phillies pitcher, Dave Coggin. Um, and yeah. we donated money to charity to get it to happen. So my first charitable donation of uh, 2019 was because Dave Coggin unblocked Coggin Toboggan on Twitter. Look, when that becomes news, there's only one thing you could say. It's not that busy, man. It's not that busy. Oh I think God. I have like 17 <laughs> more to go. Shit okay, well, let me just keep going. <laughs> then. Um, so he says, question for Russ, what is your favorite uh, early 90s wrestler and why is it heel doink the clown favorite early 90s wrestler macho man the macho man randy said oh yeah snap to slim jim oh yeah i love the macho man i really did i mean i guess i, I could also say uh sting sting went through a lot of incar of uh of incarnate or what not incarnations is it incarnations there are a lot of yeah. versions of sting i like sting a lot um yeah, i preferred when he was with the police honestly but um <laughs> i um i replied to coggin and i said um your favorite was papa shango who later went on to become this wrestler for 400 Oh, is that a, that was a question? That was a question to you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought you had a sound drop ready to go. No, it was uh, it was an answer. It's a Jeopardy thing. I gave you an answer. You give me. Oh, a I'm question. sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> go ahead. Do, um, do it again. This wrestler uh, was once known as Papa Shango and later became this character. The Godfather. Oh, I'm sorry. Who is the Godfather? That's right. Mm-hmm. Followed yeah. by who is the Good Father? That's right. Remember he he went through his uh, his like priest. Uh, Judas time. Priest? Oh, just a regular. No, not not, okay. not Judas Priest. Um, here's actually a who's really your favorite good Judas of all time? We've got three on the board. Here's uh, actually a really good Judas question Law. from Mike uh, Ferraioli. Um, he says, "What is your combined starting five for each current uh, NBA playoff matchup?" I looked at that question and I was trying to figure out if he meant like like the starting lineup of all of them combined or if he actually meant by series what's your combined for each oh um oh my god i mean if you well, did combine for each series you would probably take well here's one Lyle, let me let me let me say this let me combine this one because lyle is like right next to me he says rank the starters between the sixers and raptors from best okay. to worst so i'm gonna start with that um i'll say Kawhi is the best player on both teams agree joel and b healthy joel and b number two yes uh Jesus, um, Ben, angry Ben Simmons, pissed off Ben Simmons, number three. Yeah, number three. Yep. Siakam, number four. Yeah. Butler, dialed in Butler, number five. Well, dialed in Butler's better than Siakam, and he's better yeah, than Ben. I, I disagree with that. You don't think that dialed think in see, fourth I quarter think... Jimmy Butler's better than Pascal Siakam? No. Where is Siakam's, uh, Siakam's range, his defensive, um, his defensive ability, and the kind of pest that he can be? He's also mm, a yeah. he's, ex- he's, he's really expanded his, he's extended his range. He's younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really damn good. Uh, uh, God. Well, let's so do Siakam, okay. Butler, so Lowry. That's the, well, that's probably, our five. Probably Lowry. After yeah, that. yeah, that's our five. Um, so then to Mike's question, let's do the Rockets and the and the Warriors. You would just. What's your combined starting five for that? Well, you would probably take. Harden and stuff. Yeah, I think you Durant. would probably. Yeah, you would take the starting five for the Rock or for the Warriors, 
and then replace I guess replace Andre Iguodala right now as a starter for them. So replace Iguodala with with um with Harden and then move Clay Thompson to the three and have Harden play the two hmm. or allow Steph to go off ball. It's crazy because Houston has good players, but Harden's such a high usage dude. It's like yeah, hard like, to, like, in this exercise, it's hard uh, to add in, like, a where would you put Chris Paul or, like, Clint you, Capella I, or something. You could like. try to say that Clint Capella could replace Draymond because Draymond has been absolutely abysmal from deep yeah, this year. Yeah. But Clint Capella's been rendered pretty useless in that series so far. Yeah. Um, the real question is, would you would you replace someone with Chris Paul? Like, would you have Steph and Chris Paul as your guards mm-hmm. and then go, like, can you play Durant at center? I mean, in theory, I guess you could lengthwise. I mean, he would get smashed on the block, but you could have Durant go down, play the five, mm-hmm. and then replace Iguodala and Green with, uh, you know, with yeah. Chris Paul and yeah. uh, and James Harden. All right, I guess that's that combined five. Yeah. Um, the Portland one, I think, might be a little bit more fun. Portland and Denver. Hmm. If you were gonna Jokic go Lillard, you'd you'd probably take. I think you'd yeah. I'm thinking like maybe you go know, Jamal, a lot of Jamal like Murray. Dudes, yeah, there's a lot like of dudes Murray who are like Lillard. in a clump there. Yeah, you go with Jokic at center. Um, I didn't see as much of McCollum. the Spurs. And you'd the, have to. You'd um, almost have to numbers. go like four guards. I think right? you would have to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what other ones? Celtics Bucks. Do you take anybody off of? Well, you'd have to put Giannis. Giannis I think it'd be easier to t- take Giannis Celtics. and throw him on the Celtics than yeah. than swap all the Celtics. What's Chris on. Middleton doing in the playoffs? Anything? Um, he's been. Well, he was an All Star this year, you know. Yeah, I mean, he's been he's been iffy. Um, Giannis, Chris Middleton, Kyrie. Right now, by the way, they're they're up as of us recording, forty four to forty. Are they? They're really missing Malcolm Brogdon, which is kind of funny if you think about it. I know, um, and all the Sixers fans bitch for years about him winning. Well, not for years, for a year about him winning the Rookie of the Year. You know. Yep. Um, all right. Um, that was a good question, Mike. I just if we had more time, like we would do it. Yeah. Um, Joe Plaza says, "Is Russ happy that the Eagles drafted an offensive lineman to eventually replace Peters?" Yes, I'll answer that yeah. question. Yes, that was like the first thing. Uh, first thing I think I said. Kevin Godfrey says, um, "Is Jimmy Gilbert Butler Godfrey? a Philly guy?" No, Kevin Gilbert Godfrey. Godfrey? No. What in the world is Kevin Kincaid doing? Who is this man? And where is Jafar? Uh, is Jimmy Butler a Philly guy? He wants to know. Six one zero. Um, isn't it funny that Angelo Cataldi today was like, they got to resign him. They got to resign Jimmy Butler. He's a real Philadelphia what a, guy. What a fucking turd he is, man. I don't dislike. People need to stop really listening to yeah, him. Yeah, dude, you know what? I, I've I've ranted about Angelo on here before. I'm not going to do it again. But again, I, the the difference between just a shtick and like him making a living for himself or whatever is that, like I've said, what he does is actively detrimental to growing fan culture in Philadelphia, you know? Because he purposefully keeps people stupid and manufactures fake outrage. Um, he is the antithesis of critical thinking and measured, you know, analysis, which is what we are trying to trying to provide on the Crossing Broadcast program. Um, the only Philadelphia Seven for Seven podcast. Johnny Scoreboards wants to know: Is there a track record of trading first and second round picks during the draft for current NHL players? <laughs> Let's snow the goalie question. It's all you, man. I don't know. I don't know nothing about ice hockey. I think it depends oh, on who you. I think it depends on who you're looking to trade. You know, like who you're looking to to target as part of a trade. I can't think off the top of my head. Like, uh, 
come back to that one. I have more Brett, anti-Brett Brown people in my timeline that are me- messing up my questions here. That's all that I had there. Did you re- retweet that thing? Did you get any on that? I think I did. I don't think anybody cared enough about it. Okay, all right. I didn't get it out early enough. Uh, okay, so you want to do Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones. All right. Um, wiener, 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 one, wiener. Remember? South Park. Oh, no? yeah. <laughs> Although their their uh their cue is a little bit. I was off really concerned wiener, there for a moment. Wiener, I was wiener. like, "What is this?" Yeah, and then I yeah, forgot about sorry. that. Yeah. Um. Okay. First things first. Did you think the episode was too dark? Like, no. like vi- I had a nice visi- TV. visually. Okay. I have a nice TV, and it wasn't one that I spent a lot of money on. I I got a TCL one a six series. It was a it's a very nice TV. Has HDR. Mm-hmm. Not that the episode was put out in HDR, but like it does a very good job of resolving. Mm-hmm. Um. And displaying, you know, the the deep grays and blacks. So the only thing that I agreed with people on was that it was kind of hard to figure out um, Rhaegal and Drogon and Viserion. Although Viserion was easier because he has holes in his wings. You're actually naming you're naming the dragons. Oh yeah, I'm, that's what I'm here for. I don't know. That might be a level that I'm not ready for. Sorry. I'm gonna try to play it cool and act like I don't know. I didn't know what their okay. names were. Um, yeah, I, you know, I guess they were going with the, you know. This like fog of war kind kind of theme, I guess you know, yeah. to show that like okay, when you're in battle, like you know, it's just you know a million things going on around you. You can't see shit. Like obviously, it's not you know, it's not going to be the the middle of the day. And even if it was, there would be smoke and f- blue dragon flames and shit like that. You know, um, yep. I mean, I thought the episode was obviously really well done. Uh, my problem, I think, which is what I was talking about on Twitter afterwards, was that I I just like. Something about the Night King storyline to me, I didn't feel invested in it. Like, I didn't really care what happened one way or another. You know, because I just wasn't really captivated by the character. Um, I, I understand the backstory, I guess, of him being created by the forest people. You know, what are they called? The, the children, children of the forest. The children of the forest. Okay, like, I understood that. Um, sorry. Um <laughs> Um, like I, I don't okay so he's like a doomsday device and he like turned on his creators or whatever the fuck right so yeah. um, but, but but I don't like okay so his purpose is that he just wants to kill everything he just wants to it's wipe lame. out the living just, people like am I watching it, The it Walking is, it is Dead so or poorly am I watching that was like, so, yeah, I don't know that was so poorly done and I, I agree with you when you when you took to Twitter with it I, I was glad somebody else felt the same way I had to do it I had to stand and I, do what was right you know. I was so upset about it too because it took I believe it was it was parts of three months that the crew in Belfast um, did night shoots and you know if uh, if you ha- if you're a Thrones fan and you haven't checked this out like obviously you watch it on HBO Go and they do like the five to seven minute inside the episode but then there's um in the extras and and um and info under each episode and then like I guess in the main menu. They'll show you there's a this episode had a 40 minute behind the scenes. Usually there's like a 25 minute behind the scenes. I forget what what that um little short is called, but the mm-hmm. the 40 minute behind the scenes episode of like episode three was incredible. So like my first reaction was, all right, you have to separate all the work that went into the cinematic spectacle that was episode three mm-hmm. from the lack of storytelling that was done by Benioff and Weiss. Mm-hmm. And it comes back to an issue that's that's kind of plagued them since they've gone off source material from George R. R. Martin. And and to me, you know, the the entire Night King thing was was botched because everybody knew that 
this thing was going to eventually come back around to the showdown in the South. And there was a thought, because um, Michael Sapochnik, who directed episode three and five, they had asked him originally to also do episode four, and he said no, which would hint that there is going to be a battle in episode four as well. And my thought was, all right, the Night King doesn't actually have to show up at Winterfell. He might actually go south, maybe not all the way to King's Landing, but maybe he like goes into the Riverlands or whatever, and he like starts to create whites down there as well, and then sends them back to the north, and now you've got them from two fronts. Like That's what I thought was going to happen. So as the episode played out, and as it looked more and more like there there was going to be no shot for the heroes, I kept thinking, like, is this going to be the moment where, like, Bran ends up revealing that he essentially, like, Doctor Stranged it in Infinity War, not Endgame, haven't seen Endgame yet, where, like, he sees the 14 million, um, you know, possible eventualities and, you know, goes back and reports that, like, this is the one, like, if you do this, this is what's going to happen, and that, like, episode four was going to be, like, essentially a reset where they were going to like learn based on like what Bran had had seen in these visions. And the longer it went, the more I realized, oh my god, like this is actually where they're going with it. Like everything that's happened, yeah. all the people who have died, all the the characters who should be dead, like one-handed Jamie or Podrick who somehow is now like a badass as a as a warrior, uh Tormund who goes out and, you know, throws himself into everything, Samwell who's crying in a pile and got jumped on well, by more I mean, whites than anybody. I like, mean, it was kinda corny that they were like standing on top of piles of corpses, like killing everything that came their way. It's like I thought there should have been at least one more main character death. Um I think they I, ruined the Jorah the Jorah death I think was ruined by the fact that if you were like us, you were so underwhelmed by the Night King died. I thought the way that they killed the Night King was fine. Like, I, I thought it made sense. Well, like, didn't you think it was corny, though, that she just, what, like, magically walked, ran, ran past, like, a bunch of white... Yeah. Wa- it would have been, like, cooler if, like, one of the white walkers, like, for example, turned out of nowhere and, like, went to stab him or something. Like, she took its face or took whatever its face, the fuck yeah. that's all about, you know? So, yeah. um, but I, I don't know. Something about it just like left me like unfulfilled. I guess I, I don't know how to describe it because I think I think like like what I was saying on Twitter is that Game of Thrones was at its best when it was developing like complex and interesting characters um, via great writing, you know. And me as I mean I'm I write sports. I don't write you know scripts or stuff like that. But I can appreciate good writing because it's what I do for a living. And I don't you know. That's why I liked Deadwood back in the day, a, a series that a lot of people liked, but some people didn't really get, which I could just because I thought it had strong characters and really good dialogue. And how do you like develop a character like the Night King who doesn't fucking talk? Yeah, you know what I mean. So I think I felt like that's well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly bit. how you how you develop the character. You do what you're supposed to do with with Bran. You go back and you show visions of not only his creation, but like what led to him being that way Mm -hmm. and that that to me the the number one thing that i came away with from this episode thinking in being disappointed about just no no real character development there was like did they save all this stuff because of the prequel series because the prequel series that's in development probably is the one that's supposed to be i believe the first long night like the the original long night and so I kept coming back to like, why is Bran not going back in time and learning how the children of the forest and, and the first men 
expelled the White Walkers to the far north anyway. I felt like, like it was... Why, too, why was yeah. that never explored? No. They had like those little grenades, right, in season yeah. five... No, six. In season six, no, I mean, where well, they were kind of sending that, back and the leaf sacrifice yourself. That was stupid. That was like, well, yeah, what but, am I watching, like, like Dungeons and Dragons here? Explosives and stuff. Like, you know, if, if they had it... You know, and here's another question. Where's Mira Reed? She went back with Howland, right? Howland Reed, the only other person who can confirm that uh, um, Rhaegar Targaryen and, and Lyanna Stark were in love. Nope, they're not there. And they're supposedly living on the Isle of Faces, where there might be more children in the forest. Anyway, I know too much. Wow, you're a total Game of Thrones dork, aren't you? Yep. No, not that there's anything wrong with that. I just, I just, like, I'm not ready to match that. I like, didn't read level all the books. Knowledge. Like, I. You know, I think I read two of the books, oh, okay, okay. and then like I just start going down these like these wiki, like I go into like the wiki stuff. I start watching videos, and and like smarter people who have spent a lot more time reading everything and connecting all the dots, I just get a little bit. Outraged, I'm just like you know? infinitely more, you know, intrigued by the complexity of a lot of the main characters that they've built up. You know, Cersei, um, Jamie Lannister. You know, they, they've, Euron, Euron, Greyjoy. They, they kind of botched Euron, but. I, yeah, he's, I don't he's, know. He's kind of It just kind of jumped. He's kind of coming it's around. It's a shame. I think the show kind of jumped the shark a little bit with like once they got past the book material. Um, even though I didn't read the books, like the point that people explained to me was where they passed the books. It seemed like stuff was speeding up and then it was slowing down. And then it was like, we have to justify this. So we got to do this scene and then we got to do this scene. But And you didn't need two episodes just to build up the battle, you know? So um, I don't know. It just left me a little. Like, like, don't get me wrong. I'll be watching next week, obviously. But. Yeah, something bad just left me uh, un- unfulfilled, I guess is what I would say. I, I was not that invested in uh, the storyline, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, then you got, like, people saying, well, you know, Arya and, like, girl power and stuff like that. And, like, it, I roll my eyes a little bit at that. I talked about this on It's Always Soccer, but, like, Game of Thrones has always had, like, really, really, really strong female characters. Yep. You know, so I didn't really understand why people were, like, going to, like, the feminism angle with Arya considering that, Daenerys is the most powerful person on the planet. Uh, Cersei is probably number two, right? Like, am I am I wrong with that? So, no. um, you know, and at times those two characters endured some horrible shit, but the male characters have as well. So, um, I don't know. I just that just seems like a weird reaction to me. I don't know. Everybody always wants to make like a f- contemporary, like modern day comparison to whatever happened in some fucking fantasy series. You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't know. Not everything has to be a parallel to like the real world. Sometimes it can just be some shit that somebody made up, you know? But uh, yeah, no, I thought the, the episode was really, really well done. I thought the best part of the episode, probably the most eerie part of the episode is when the Dothraki went and like charged into the f- mess of shit and all the lights like went out one by one. Uh, no, I thought, I that, thought was, that was cool. It was, it was, that was great visual. Cool. Yeah, that was a really <clears throat> unique visual. Um, Though, the same with like the Battle of the Bastards, how they showed like the, f- um, oh my god, what the hell is it called? The fail, the uh, the phalanx, the, the, the phalanx. The what? No, what is it called when you like line up with a bunch of shields? A fail phalanx, P H A L. Maybe. Trying yeah. to remember when I played like Dungeons and Dragons back in the day. Oh, oh. little little D and D fan uh, over there. Well, not like the not, not the the board like the um. The mm. games mm. that they spun off with it, like uh, what were they like, um, like Neverwinter Nights and Baldur's Gate and shit like that, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought that there were some cool, unique visuals in it, but for the most part, I just like something was something left me like uh, hanging, you know? So yeah. You know. Anyway, let's uh, end the the podcast. I on think a positive I think there's note. a chance that there will be a little bit more Game of Thrones talk coming later this week. Oh, I think we might work okay. on something that would be. A little bit of, little bit of fun. Well, listen, we'll go into a little bit more detail. Yeah, no, like we were saying, um, you know, if you want to, if you have suggestions for the, um, for this, 
crossing broadcast soundboard yeah give us a chat that'd be something fun to put together i would like to put that together and um yeah i just want to say thanks to everybody who gave me a shout out um on the birth of my daughter i appreciate that that is was it nice thirsty of for of you, you to put up the pictures and i i don't know is it thirsty for me to put up pictures yeah you put up pictures and i feel like you you wanted people to uh to congratulate you is that thirsty I don't uh know. no i mean i did like one post saying like here's my daughter i didn't it wasn't like well my wife's pregnant oh now we're two months away now we're one month away you know i actually didn't say i didn't say anything on social media daily progression the only people who knew that like i was having a kid were like people who listened to this podcast or listened to the other podcasts like we didn't we didn't really tell anybody you know i think it would be thirsty if you were like talking about it all the time leading up to it you know because it's not—it's not like it's anything like unique. Like billions of people have raised children. Okay, you know. So, speaking of raising children and finding love, really quick, I want to get your your immediate feedback on this. Facebook is going to reveal a new feature called Secret Crush that's going to allow Facebook dating users to select up to nine friends to express interest in. Facebook dating. Facebook dating is that a yes. thing? I, apparently it is. No, I met my wife the old-fashioned way. We actually met in person. Um, How about it? Uh, so basically, what you—they're just putting you in the friend zone. I don't know, because like, isn't this kind of like there? There used to be a Facebook thing like ten years ago called Hot or Not, when your friends would like <laughs> yeah, pop I up. That. I remember that. You remember that one? That was like the precursor uh, to like Tinder and yeah, you know all these yep. other like apps and stuff that people use. Yeah, um, I I have zero thoughts on that. You know, I try to, okay. uh, I you know. We were my okay. wife and I were introduced in person, and uh, I feel good about that. So. What are your thoughts on uh, Dustin Rhodes getting his release from the WWE, retiring the Gold Dust character, and now going head to head with his brother Cody Rhodes at All In, part of All Elite Wrestling? Anything? No. Um, right, I thought we, we Gold, didn't wrestling, Gold Dust we... retire like ten years ago or something. No. Yeah. <laughs> Gold Dust. All right, we've gone off the rails. Anything else you wanted to say? No, I'll leave it on your gold dust impersonation. Oh, we did gold I, I dust. I, I thought I had. We did I Donovan I had a McNabb. We did uh, Bernie Sanders. Who else did we impersonate tonight? We had a lot. You we did a lot today. Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah, um, it was pretty good. My soundboard died on my phone, so yeah. kind of sad. But if anybody has suggestions for the Crossing Broad soundboard, we will take them from the one percent and we'll give them to the ninety-nine percent. <laughs> crossing broadcast it's the most socialist podcast in america thanks for listening <laughs> oh you got to right. do all your promo stuff yeah i got okay. i gotta i gotta do all the fun all right, stuff i gotta this go what pays man. the thanks, bills brother. all right yeah. um don't forget to go check out the other shows on the crossing broad podcast network available now not only on itunes slash apple podcasts google play stitcher but now spotify so go over there download the pod leave reviews especially on apple podcasts i think you can leave reviews on um on Spotify as well. Anyway, go check out Crossed Up. I believe Anthony and Bob are going to be dropping a new episode, especially with the Phillies uh, beginning their series, or are they in game two of their series with the uh, Detroit Tigers um, following winning three out of four against Miami. Uh, as of recording, the Phillies are down 3-1 in the top of the sixth, so I'm sure that Bob and Anthony are going to have something to say about it, likely well after midnight, and uh, we'll get to hear all about it from Bob. So make sure uh, you go check out Crossed Up. Uh, also, go check out Snow the Goalie. Um, I think we're going to be putting out an episode this week. We might be going to uh, once every two weeks in the offseason until the draft really kicks up and free agency kicks up. Um, but if you've been following me in the NHL playoffs, it's been quite unpredictable. Um, also, it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid. 
Um, don't forget, if you're looking for your union recaps, um, that is the one-stop shop for everything that you could want about the Philadelphia Union. He had a really good interview uh, on this week and some solid breakdown of the uh, the team's 1-1 draw over the weekend. Crossing Broad FC will be back again this week. We've uh, got a little streak going to uh, recap the UEFA Champions League first leg of the semifinals. Ajax today pulled out a 1-0 win on the road in Tottenham because Tottenham is a trash team. And, uh, of course, the last show, the newest addition to the Crossing Broad Podcast Network is Broadlines, a sports betting podcast with a rotating uh, crew that would typically be Kyle, uh, I believe Bob sometimes, and Jason Zernicki from um, Bet, Bet New Jersey, Bet Sports New Jersey, I should know this. Um, anyway, they, uh, they do the sports betting podcast. You can also find those videos on YouTube on the Crossing Broad um, YouTube channel, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. So if you're looking to find the podcasts on CrossingBroad.com just for fun, Go to CrossingBroad.com and at the top, click on Podcasts. You can find all six shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, Crossing Broadcast, Crossed Up, Snow the Goalie, Broadlines, It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia, and Crossing Broad FC, meeting all the needs of the Philadelphia sports fan, all of the 7 for 7 hardworking blue-collar Philadelphia sports fans. For Kevin, I'm Russ. We'll be back soon with some more Sixers breakdown and any other big news that happens in the world of Philadelphia sports. So until then, thanks for listening.